hold on. I'm waiting for the thumb. Alright, we're ready to go. So in John chapter 20 this morning, we want to take the message, the empty tomb. And so, what do we mean by the empty tomb and things of this nature? I, I was thinking about this the other day, about how many times that we see uh, the images of the cross, and we, we are devastated by the image of the cross. And yet, when you think about it, the instrument of the cross was only one level of, of death that we could see. I mean, in, the, in time past as well as time present, we've seen everything from stones killing people, knives killing people. The cross was a, 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 a weapon that was used to help uh, terminate life and so on and so forth. But the significance of the grave, and I want you to think about this for a moment. All across the land, we can go anywhere we want and we see graves. And, you know, for us, if you ever go to Europe and you have an opportunity, you can see the old gravestones that were there. In, in Rome, you, you can go into the catacombs. And sometimes in the catacombs, they would take the, uh, the stone skulls of individuals and plaster them into uh, the walls so that people were there. And what was interesting, because of the superstitious Romans, they would never go into the catacombs. But because Christians were not afraid of death or the resurrection, they celebrated in the catacombs. Just something to be thinking about. But the reality is, is that the tomb seems like the final destination for so many people. And you know, I look at this as that I can go up to my brother's property and there is the gravesite, not only of Carla's mom and dad, but there's the gravesites of my mother and father. And I'm sure if I go up to MacArthur, I've been up there and I've seen my grandparents' gravestones, uh, as well as other loved ones. And literally everywhere we go, it seems like I'm always looking to see when a person came to this earth and when they passed. But the one thing that we look at is the empty tomb, the emptied, borrowed tomb. Now, I want us to take in John chapter 20 today, and we're going to take a look at what we found based upon the scripture that is there today. So let's begin our reading. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taketh away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And stooping down, and looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying, and yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen cloths lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. They knew it not. They knew not that scripture, even though they heard it. And no doubt Jesus had presented it to them over and again. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white setting, the one at the head 
and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not whence they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew it not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Let us pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand before the congregation, and I pray for strength. I pray for strength not only to present the word, but I pray for strength, Lord, that the message would find place, and that it would go forward as you see fit right now. Lord, I know that no matter what we look at, no matter how we present ourselves, no matter what we say, what we do, or anything else, Lord, means little if you do not take this message and carry it as it needs to be delivered to the people today. Lord, I am honored. I am blessed. First of all, Lord, to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That is truly the greatest blessing of all. But I'm honored that you have called me to preach. And Lord, whether it's to many or few, May I present the gospel in such a right way that others would want to know Jesus as well. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity, and I pray that you will bless, that you will guide, that you will keep us in this day, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. As I prepared this sermon this morning, I wrote down some of the things that we could literally take and expound upon when it comes to this message today. One of the things that I looked at was the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you all remember this, but at the very beginning, when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he took the, the colt of an ass, and there they laid down that colt, and they, they would allow the, the, the Lord to ride upon him. And yet, most of us haven't a clue what it means to be able to go in and do that. And I don't want to expound upon that today, except that was called the triumphant in, in, entrance of Christ. The second thing we look at was that it was the time of the Passover. Once again, we might go in and he, he forewarned the apostles of his impending death and how that he must go to the cross and die alone. And, and none of the apostles would believe him. And, and literally there was the, the cry out by these apostles, No, Lord, this is not going to happen. Not I, not I. Even to Peter, he said, Before the cock crows twice, you shall deny me thrice. The third thing that I could write down, easy enough, was the illegal trials. Do you realize that on the night that Jesus was to be taken, he was tried by the religious, the religious rulers, the high priest Caiaphas, and others that were there, Annas and others. And yet later on he would be pushed into Pilate's court, later to Herod's court, and returned back to Pilate's court. And every one of them found him being completely innocent. When, when Pilate had Jesus presented, they made this statement, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have brought him to you. But he understood that for envy's sake he was brought. 
Not because he had done anything wrong, but because they were envious of Jesus Christ. He would not accept their religion. He would not accept their ways. The next one that we see, and, and if I go in, is the fourth, is called the torture and the death of Christ. Most of us focus upon the torture of Christ. I mean, when you go in and you see the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it really speaks about the torture. And the Romans were experts when it came to torture. They, they had, one of the things that they had was a, a little building that at the top was a peak. And, they, and literally, as you would ride, they would keep you strapped in so that you had to ride that peak. The reality is, is that as long as you rode that peak, you were into your feet and it would cause these great shards and pain that would go through. That was one of the instruments of torture. And if you should happen to slip from that, the sharpness of that peak would literally split you in two. They were instruments and they understood the instruments of death. They chose the cross because it was long, it was painstaking, and it was something that was deserving of the most criminal of minds. So when you think about that, we could focus upon the cross also in how that Jesus was there. The fifth one that I wrote down was the burial of Jesus Christ. And when we think about the burial of Jesus Christ, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, which leads us to the story today of the sixth message, which we're going to have today, called the empty tomb. Now, the one thing I want us to understand is tombs, especially in that region of the world, were never sacred. Everybody got this? They were never sacred. A lot of times they would just put a body in the tomb, unless you had a, a family crypt or something of this nature, and you would be put in this tomb until you rotted and decayed away, and then they would take your bones out of that crypt, and then they would scrub the sides of it. Well, when you see Mary coming to this place, and she goes, supposing him to be the gardener, she knew that, that no doubt that this was a place to him. We are all we know that the stench of the heat and everything else would have caused the body to bloat and things of this nature. And yet when she came there, she sought out saying, Where did you take the body? Don't blame several funerals, funeral services. Not too long ago, I was in one to where here was a man, he looked like he could just get right out of that, that uh, coffin and stand up and greet us and talk to us. I have, was at my papa's many, many years ago. I was about 11, 12 years of age, and there was my papa's he laid in the coffin, and I thought, my, how lifelike he looks, and I just thought, wake up, papa. Just wake up, get up. Let us know that everything's okay. We have never seen anyone ever Not only to the religious, 
but also speaking to us in assuring words of what we can say. Look, if you will, all the way down to verse 17 of John chapter 10. Therefore doth my Father love You know that Jesus is referring back to the Father because I in the crucifixion point was the fact that Jesus laid down his life. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and look at this. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power of my Father. But I want you to see this from another aspect. Let's go all the way back to Matthew chapter 27. Do you realize, by the way, that one-sixth, or one-third, or one excuse me, one-third of the Gospels is about the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so in chapter 27, we're going to go down to verse 45, and I want you to see exactly what we have here for us when it came to not only the crucifixion, but all that Jesus endured. Let's go down to verse, uh, if you will, verse 45. Then cometh his disciples, oh, excuse me, I went one, one chapter back too far, excuse me, just for a second. Let's go down to verse 45, there we go. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Let's stop there for a moment. The longest eclipse on record is about 30 minutes. You know, and of course that means that you're in the root or right in the heart of the eclipse. But this was a darkness that could be felt. I did some research about when Jesus was actually nailed to the cross. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Most of the time, whenever we take a look at the cross, we see a polished cross, do we not? We'll see a body that's hung on that cross. Or it looks like a body of, of, of a, a man who had a crown of thorns planted upon his head. And we really think that, all oh, that poor individual was nailed to the cross. That was not Jesus. I want you to think about the whole night that Jesus spent. He was taken from the garden at the close of the day. So when we observe the Lord's Supper, as we shall in a, Lord, in a couple of weeks, the Lord's willing, we will remember that Jesus partook of the Lord's Supper, and they sang, and it was still even, and they went out into the garden, the break of a new day. And they went to the, the path of the garden. First there was the teaching, and then there was the prayer time. And as Jesus laid his face upon the stone, or wherever he prayed, he began to pray, and as Greg pointed out so amply last week, his sweat became as great drops of blood, meaning that he understood the great requirement that he would face that night. And as he began to pray, he began to pray, and it grieved him. It was heavy upon him. Well, then immediately as he prayed, he went first to the disciples. They had already fallen asleep, not understand the gravity of what they were about to face. He went back and he prayed, and he came back a second time, and they were in a deeper sleep. He went back a third time, leaving them alone, but by the time that he got there, he said, Sleep on now. Oh, what happened to you? Sleep on At that moment, as he woke them, Judas Iscariot came breaking forth from a group of Roman, or of, uh, of guard, the temple guards, and he kissed Jesus Christ, and he said, 
Lord, Lord. Michael Card is one of the great writers, music writers of our time, and Michael Card pointed out the, the price of a kiss. You know, when we think of a kiss, it is a greeting. When we think of a kiss, it ought to be warm. When we think of a kiss, it ought to be welcome. But the betrayal kiss was anything but that. And the moment that Jesus was kissed, Jesus looked at this Judas. And he said, Betrayest thou me with a kiss? Are you identifying me with a kiss? Are you turning that should greet me? And at that very moment, Jesus would endure a night of suffering like we have never known before. First of all, he was there and he was brought before the, the religious rulers, the Pharisees, Annas, Caiaphas. And as he stood there, he uttered not a word. And then finally, the the shriveling, the weakness of that officer as he looked in the eyes of one who was about to die upon the cross of Calvary and that man withered away. Let me just tell you something else that's special. We have the word. We have the account. We have every little instrument to let us know what's going on. But imagine sitting around, and I thought about doing this today, sitting with a little chair in the front and saying, can you imagine the first churches as they had maybe a little snippet of the Word of God. Maybe not even that. They had the Old Testament. And they began to tell others before the Gospels were in their hands of the message that they received by the prophecies of the, of the early apostles as they came through. And they told the matter to them about the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Imagine... I know as a child, I always loved to hear the stories. We sing a song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Why don't we want to hear it from the Bible? I want to hear it from the lips of others. And as we hear the message of Jesus Christ, we begin to hear it in a very powerful and a very special way. Can you imagine? There was Cleophas, and he said, I remember walking on the road to Emmaus, me and Brother Luke or whoever it was that was walking with him. And he said, suddenly someone joined us. And as he began to expound upon the Word of God, we thought, why have we never seen that before? How precious is that? Can you imagine as they beckoned this man that they did not recognize in to be with them, and he went in because it was late at night and he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and suddenly their eyes were opened and he was taken up from them. Can you imagine him also in Luke chapter 24 how that Jesus had walked in and was there
And Jesus finally appears. And some were so afraid they would not even believe that this was the Christ. Until the Lord said, Have you any meat? Let me tell you something. There's something special about that. those, those statements. I love good food. But did you know they brought him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb and he ate in front of them? Go! Ah, the best. The best. Over and again, the message is clear that what Jesus was about to do was to show them his victory in everything that was said and done. But there was even prophecies that were fulfilled. Do you realize that when Jesus hung upon the cross of Calvary, he hung alone? There were two other men. It's not just the Just as you would a pirate or anything else to show the, the wickedness of the malefactors. But do you realize that the priest had begged that the body of Jesus would be taken down? And there was one man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, followed by Nicodemus, who was a high priest. And they brought and they adorned the body of Christ and they laid him in his tomb. But what's even more miraculous was the fact that he was not broken of bone. Let's go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. You see, the instrument of death called the cross demonstrated two wonderful things about the death of Jesus. Oh, he was beaten. We can imagine, we, I, I can't even imagine, the, the, the terribleness of that beating and the carrying of that cross the carrying of that wooden beam upon his back. And literally, as that wooden beam would go up his back, he would have to have one end of it dragging and it would bear upon the whipped back, exposing more and more of the nerves, more and more of the beating. But Jesus endured so much of it. In verse 31 of chapter 19, notice, that, notice what it says. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation day. You know what that means? It was the day before the Passover. And they had to prep the lamb. They had to have the Seder meal. They had to have everything ready for that evening. <clears throat> so they came, and notice that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, meaning it was not just a Saturday. It was a holy day, meaning a Wednesday. We saw Pilate and that they might be taken away. Why did they want their legs broken? Because you see, the legs were instruments to help them live longer. But having their legs broken, they could not rear up and they could not stand the pressure. They could not lift themselves up and live a little bit longer. And so notice one of the things that we begin to see. In verse 32, And they came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus... I love this verse, and if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you really ought to take an examination of yourself. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, why did he, why did he die? Because as we've seen in John chapter 17, I will lay down my life. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, It is finished. 
He complained in all the power of God. Why was there so much darkness when it occurred that we read over in the book of Matthew? And it was a darkness that some say, even in Josephus, the, the great Jewish historian, it was a felt darkness. Let, let me just tell you something, folks. I know a little bit about that kind of darkness. Many years ago, when I was a young missionary up in Jackson, Ohio, I remember that I went to this one house, in this one street, and there was this one dark house. I mean, it was pitch black dark. And I, I turned my boys with me, and I knocked on the door, and there was no answer. And I told the boys, I said, well, I thought there was somebody home here, but I said, I guess not. I started to walk away, and I thought, well, let me knock one more time. Still no answer. And as I started to walk away, you, you, you ever been in one of those horror movies? That's exactly what the door did. And out of this darkness, and I mean it was a darkness that you could feel. It was a heavy darkness. This guy come standing in the doorway. And the look upon this man was just eerie. And I looked at this man and I, and I said, uh, I want to invite you to come to church with me. We're over in, in a tongue, location and everything. And from the back I heard this evil laughter. I understood a little bit what this man was going through. He was entertaining wickedness beyond our wildest imaginations. But the darkness that Jesus felt, for the moment he cried out, My God! the very demons of hell are having their way upon the cross of Calvary with Jesus. Can you imagine the terror of being of all alone upon this cross? And yet the Bible says it pleased God to bruise him. God cannot look upon the Savior and the darkness that was there upon him. And darkness is always an image of sin shows us the wickedness that was there. But what did Jesus say as he emerged from that darkness? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The seven sayings of the Savior on the cross tells us the victory, but also those words that Jesus spoke upon that cross. Not only that, let's go down to verse 33, but when they came to Jesus, they thought he was dead already, and they break not one of his legs. But this is the most compelling part. I've, I've heard people, not heard it directly from their lips, but I've heard what people have had to say, that Jesus wasn't really dead. That he was only stunned. My goodness! What more could he have done? But one of his soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. You remember upon his brow came forth the blood and the water of his brow? Now from the pierced heart came more blood, more water. Jesus was completely dead. He had laid down his life. His heart had stopped beating. And to prove it, the pierced arrow, the pierced spear. And I can almost imagine. Can you, again, I want to take you back before the scripture was written. There was John. There were the other apostles. And in their midst was Mary. And she was staring off into the sky. And they said, Mary, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about the words that Simeon said when I first brought Jesus to the temple. 
remember those words? And a spear shall thrust thy side also. Can you imagine the moment that Mary understood now what those scriptures meant? I saw... I knew he was dead. And he died for me. It was no secret that when we read over here in John chapter 20, when we see that Mary Magdalene, a woman that was possessed of demons, she was now free of... Instead, she knew the re- release. She knew the release of demons from her very soul. She knew what it was like to sit at the feet of Jesus. But she was the one that told the apostles, "The stone is rolled away." It says in the book of Matthew that after they had placed the watch, which was the Roman guards, that would make sure that no one would come in and put. This was the most powerful. But on the day that the angels came and rolled back the stone, it wasn't to release Jesus, but to prove that he wasn't there. And when they rolled back the stone, the tomb was empty. And the tomb was empty. And when Mary saw the stone rolled away, and the dead soldiers, or what was soldiers that looked like they had been killed upon the ground, she ran back and she told the apostles. And here was old Peter. I, I think Peter was like me, you know, probably a little bit overweight and not able to run. And it said of John that he outran Peter, but he got to the tomb and he just peered in. He just looked in. Why didn't he go? Being afraid to go inside of a tomb. And then here came Peter. And you know what I can see Peter doing? He rushed straight in. He's gone. He's gone. And soon as John... You see, if Jesus had just resurrected as a mummy... His grave clothes would still be there and the the face napkin would be upon the ground. But that's not the way Jesus came. It was just the opposite. It's like his grave clothing was a bed sheet. And he folded up the napkin off his face and he laid it down. I can almost see Mary as she finally watches Peter and John. I mean, can you imagine Peter scratching his head? Could he really be alive? Could he really have resurrected? Is our Lord alive? starts letting the, the tears form up in her eyes. So much so that she looked in there in the tomb and there stood two men in white. Two angels. Can you imagine him holding her composure? What are you looking for? 
context. What are you looking for? When did Mary say, Where is he? <laughs> Where is he? Oh, Mary, he's not here. He's not here. Can you imagine as Mary went away and, and the tears began to fall even heavier upon her face? Where is he? Where is he? And she sees a man and, and the tears are, are distorting her eyesight so much that she goes, Would you tell me where you've taken him? Where did you lay him? I, I just want to adorn his body. I just want to take care of my Lord. And the most precious words of all, Mary. I am certain the Lord had a way of saying her name that she knew exactly who it was. Remember Samuel? 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 And he rushed into Eli and said, Here I am. I didn't call you Samuel. Go back to bed. Samuel, Samuel, Lord, I'm here, Eli. He said, the next time, say, who art thou, Lord? But the moment that we are called unto salvation, it's a special call. Michael? Yes, Lord. It's hard, isn't it? Oh, yes, Lord. Come here. Do you realize Mary, the moment that she saw Jesus was alive, what she wanted to do? What would you want to do? What would you want to do? You I've yet to ascend to the Father. We do not know exactly why he went to heaven's, heaven's glory at that moment. Did he present the righteous blood before the Bema seat? We don't know. But he had to go before the Father. And a little bit later when he came, he said, Come here. Come here, Thomas. Put your fingers in the Dow Prince. Come here, put your hand in my mouth. Really feel what it's like of the dead man brought to life. You know, we fail so many times to see the victory of the tomb. And what makes it so marvelous to me is that Jesus was dead, but he's alive forevermore. Let me show this to you. And this is really amazing to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I remember the first time I had this read to me, I was a boy, and I just wanted to know what the gospel really was. And the first time it was read, Brother Randy, I'm going to tell you what, it was precious. In verse 1 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. There it is. What is the gospel? Which I preached unto you, which you also have received, and wherein you stand. You know that every time we hear the gospel, we ought to rejoice. I serve a risen Savior. He's in this world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. How do I know He lives? By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Look at the cross. 
And He paid the price. How do I know? It's complete. I don't leave him in a manger because he wasn't a baby for long. Don't leave him as a there for long. There was one story that was told one time that I searched the manger and he was not there, but an angel that said, go elsewhere. I went down to Egypt and I looked from him for here and thither. Again, the angel said, he's not here, look hither. And so and forth, the story told how that the man went back to Jerusalem. He went to the wise men. Michael Carr writes another song, said, how can it be? How can it be? Where is he? Who is this man? Later on, they went to Nazareth, but he wasn't there. They went to Jerusalem, he wasn't there. They went to Calvary, he wasn't there. He went to the hill, and he wasn't there, but ascended into glory, and I went into heaven, and he's not there because he's come back for us. Do we live like we really believe that he's coming again? Oh, that we would. You know, it ought to be the greatest joy on everyone's lips to stand I graduate into the arms of Jesus. Oh, jealous. Brother Randy, the first time he told us the story of the woman, they said, and look who's walking in the door now. The jealousy that we should have felt. Because at that moment, she saw Jesus. And verse 4 said, And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. But wait, there's more. And this is the part that I love. And he was seen of Caiaphas, or Cephas, however you want to say it. He was, he was seen of Peter, and of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Glad day, oh glorious day. Glad day, oh marvelous day. Can you imagine 500 people seeing Jesus at once? How do I know that he's risen? Because the testimony of Scripture and when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he said, you can take account that 500 saw him at once. Look what else he says. Of whom the greater part remaineth unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. You know, I think when, Pete, when Paul's time on this earth was done, he said, bring it on, man. Bring it on. You know why? He had already tasted glory. When it was time for John to go, what? the revelation image and he knew it was going to hurry on the coming of the Lord I could go to every one of the apostles and they would say the same Peter was crucified upside down and said goodbye cool world I go home to be with the master why do I bring up the empty tomb because he is not there and if you're today hoping for the cross you miss the point. If you're hoping for the empty tomb, you miss the point. 
we have the proof of the empty tomb. We have the proof that He's coming again because of what His Word says. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Maybe today you want to know more about this Jesus whom we serve. If you'd like to know more, then please come and see me. Come talk to me. I'd gladly take the time to tell you more about Jesus. Father, again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand before the congregation. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless and to provide. We want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we pray that you will bless, that you will help us along this way. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Brother Randy, if you will answer a couple.